Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Health Trip Podcast. If you're experiencing hair loss, this episode is for you. I have suffered for over 20 years with on-again, off-again female pattern hair loss, or androgenetic alopecia. This type of hair loss in men and women is generally caused by hormonal changes, aging, and genetics. Hormonal changes in women could be triggered by using birth control, going through menopause, or taking hormone replacement therapy. In fact, most women experience hair loss during their menopausal years. The main difference between men and women with pattern hair loss is just that, the pattern in which hair is lost. For women, it results in a wider part down the middle, thinning around the crown and temples. For men, hair loss is more focused on a receding hairline that moves towards the back until bald. Either way, it's devastating. While some men rock a bald head and it's more socially acceptable, all women want full, lush, thick, and shiny hair all over their head. There are other forms of hair loss, including telogen effluvium, when significantly more hairs move from the growing phase to the shedding phase and can occur after a traumatic or stressful experience, such as going through a divorce, death of a loved one, massive weight loss from a diet, surgery, and childbirth. When my hair loss started over 27 years ago, it was during the decade I birthed five of my kids. If you're living with an autoimmune condition, you may also experience hair loss. If you're malnourished or under eating or lacking to consume enough protein, you may also experience hair loss. As you can see, there are many pathways that can lead to hair loss. My hair loss to hair growth journey has led me down a long path trying different protocols. What I've learned through my own experience and research is that there's no one size fits all approach and that stacking multiple protocols is essential for healthy hair growth. I started a new stacked protocol about nine months ago and have completely reversed my hair loss and now have my lush curls back with increased hair volume. Today, I have invited one of the country's top hair restoration experts to share with us the current science around hair loss and hair growth. Dr. Alan Bauman is a full-time board-certified hair restoration physician who's treated over 33,000 patients, has performed over 10,000 hair transplant procedures, and over 10,000 PRPs since starting his medical hair loss practice, Bauman Medical, which started in 1997. Bauman Medical is a 12,000 square foot state-of-the-art hair hospital in downtown Boca Raton, Florida, located about a mile from the renowned Boca Resort and Club. Dr. Bauman is one of approximately only 200 physicians worldwide to achieve the certification from the esteemed American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery. Dr. Bauman is known for pioneering numerous technologies in the field of hair restoration, including minimally invasive FUE or follicular unit extraction, VIP FUE, no shave hair transplant, low level laser therapy, PRP platelet rich plasma, PDO grow, eyelash transplants, and others. He is frequently invited faculty members and guest expert as numerous at numerous international scientific meetings and live surgery workshops and has been featured in hundreds of news stories in the media. You may have seen him on NBC. Today, CBS, ABC, CNN, The Doctors, 
Ball Truth, Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey are featured in Men's Health, GQ, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, The New York Times, Oprah Magazine, and many more. Dr. Bauman was voted the number one hair restoration surgeon in North America by Aesthetic Everything for the sixth consecutive year, top hair restoration surgeon of the decade, and received the 2022 Lifetime Achievement Award in Hair Restoration. He was also recognized by Forbes as one of the 10 CEOs transforming healthcare in America. I have a little medical disclaimer before we go into the podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So we are going to cover a lot right now. Sit back, be open-minded. Let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Bauman. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. I am so glad to have you here today. Hi, Jill. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know, hair loss is a, a big problem right now. I'm seeing it more and more in my health coaching business. And I think with COVID over, people are having that delayed stress response. So I really wanted to bring you here for my community to just take away a bunch of nuggets to help themselves on their own hair growth journey. So again, thank you. But I want to start out with the hair follicle. Uh -huh. Is the hair follicle an organ? Like what exactly is this, this little thing deep down inside of ours? Yeah. So, well, of course the hair follicle is like, you know, the coolest organ in the entire body. Right. But yes, <laughs> no, it, it is, uh, it is an organ. It's a mini organ. Actually, it's a skin appendage, which means just like a sweat gland, it lives in your skin and you've got about 5 million of them all across your body. And, you know, probably in the ancient days, you know, that was to help keep us warm. Uh, but today, you know, most of our body hair, thankfully, is not that visible. And uh, the stuff that is visible is the stuff that's on the top of our head. And so we we're born with about 150,000 hair follicles in a healthy head. And uh, hopefully those are, you know, living and growing, producing the hair fiber, which is dead tissue like keratin, kind of like your fingernail. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's if the follicles in the growth cycle, then it's producing that very thin, uh, but yet resilient strand of hair. So and of course, is... those hairs make a very important impact emotionally, you know, not oh, just absolutely. on the uh, observer, but also the owner, right? When you look absolutely. In the I've been on my own hair loss and hair regrowth journey for 25 plus years since I started having my kids so long ago. And it's mm. just been on again, off again, and it is so devastating. But why is the hair follicle so fragile? Why do we look, look at it as being so fragile? Yeah, and so, and especially for women, you know, and I'm, I'm so glad that we're talking about women's hair loss and that you brought up your own hair situation. But uh, what I find in my practice is that uh, female hair follicles are very, very sensitive. They're sensitive to a lot of different things. And not to say that men's follicles are not sensitive, they, they are, but in women, it seems like there's so many more triggers both yeah. intrinsic and extrinsic that could impact the function of these tiny mini organs uh, that are in your scalp. So I guess the most important thing is to think about the follicle as a very highly metabolic cell population, number one. So mm -hmm. when you have a cell population that's very highly metabolic, it's very responsive to so many different things, it, like your nutritional status, for example. If your nutritional status starts to change, 
in some way, shape or form, then your follicles immediately respond to that. And so the follicle mm -hmm. becomes a very strong barometer of health and vitality and of course youth. And it's a very, very um, important signal, I think, uh, to your, you know, your general health. Because if your health starts to fail, uh, you know, most times, so does your hair. You know, I love that you said that because I say this one thing to my clients over and over again. You're really only as healthy as your mitochondria because your mitochondria run the show. They're the main, they're, they're the engines of your body and you don't need hair to survive. And your mitochondria are very smart. And so it is such a great barometer of your overall health and wellness because it's signaling that some, there is an imbalance on some level in, a, in, in your mitochondria. And so you, we have to look at the lifestyle factors, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but it's, it's great. It's all, well, the other question I ask my clients is, how is your libido? Because to me, that's another huge marker for your overall health and wellness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, think about it because evolutionarily, um, you know, you want to be attractive to a mate. So that's mm -hmm. kind of important. And you also, you know, the species wants to procreate. Now, whether we're ruled by our mitochondria or not is a subject of another podcast, probably that we could debate. Uh, you know, there's like four to 40 quadrillion of them hanging around inside of our body, you know, and yeah. are we the uh, carrier or are we the, <laughs> are we the master? Sometimes right. it's a little bit difficult to tell, but you're right. And so uh, I think libido is important because it's a strong barometer of is everything a-okay? And, you know, infertility also, right? right? Because, you know, you're evolutionarily, you kind of know if the species is in stress, maybe it's not such a good time to procreate. Right, right, exactly. So the hair follicles come out of our scalp. So I'd like to talk about scalp health for a little bit because people are suffering with dandruff or severe dandruff or psoriasis, eczema. There's all types yeah. of things that could be going on with our, our scalp health. I'm so glad you brought that up because scalp health has been on my radar for like two decades. And in the early days of the practice, we didn't really know what to do for these folks who had inflammation, irritation and so forth. And of course, you know, uh, my background is a surgery is as a surgeon is to operate right and so the primary part of my practice is hair transplantation and of course we noticed that patients that had poor scalp health they didn't recover as well in terms of speed and, and efficiency um, as those who, who had better scalp health you know from the mm -hmm. hair transplant so yeah. I've always thought about that but today we know just simple stuff like inflammation at the level of the scalp is no good, no bueno, as we say in South Florida, for hair follicle function. And that's one of the intrinsic factors that can really dysregulate the hair. So if you have a little bit of, you know, dandruff on your shoulder or, you know, a little bit of itchy scalp, you know, you need to, you need to pay attention to that because as the environment of the follicles becomes dysregulated, then so does the function of the follicle and the production of the hair certainly can suffer. So how important is the shampoo and conditioners that we're buying? How important is that to our hair growth? Well, I mean, look, there's no magic hair growth shampoo or, or conditioner, you know, there's no magic miracle in a bottle, but I will tell you that it's, it's important because shampoo is designed to cleanse the area, right? And conditioner is designed to re-impart that moisture back into the hair fiber, which we would normally naturally get from our sebum, from the sebaceous glands, which produce oil on the scalp. But if you have some kind of a scalp condition where let's say you're producing a little bit less sebum as you age, well, you need to alter 
your scalp hygiene regimen in accordingly. Just like the skin on your face and other parts of your body, it changes with time. We don't produce as much oil usually uh, as we age. And so you wouldn't treat your skin the same way as you did when you were a teenager, as you do right. now in middle age. And your scalp should be no different. So one of the things that I have in my practice is a full trichology lab. And we call it Salon B, B, B for Bauman, right? At Bauman Medical. Mm -hmm. But um, the trichology lab is staffed with a certified trichologist and a hair coach, and I've got an esthetician and their assistant who's a hair replacement person. But basically the trichology lab is to figure out what's going on with the health of your scalp. Mm. So we do scalp measurements. We do uh, a pH level, a moisture level, a sebum level. We assess the scalp for signs of inflammation, irritation, bacterial overgrowth, you know, because microorganisms can become dysregulated in terms of their quantity and ratios as well, just like in our gut that can happen on the scalp as well. And so we want to make sure that the, the hair follicles are living and growing in an area that's, that's like, you know, good, that's, you know, neutrifying for the follicles and not, you know, a hostile environment. You know, if you're going to make a garden, you want to make sure the soil right. is good before you start planting, right? Absolutely. What about how often to wash your hair? I have some women that have been told only wash their hair once a week. I actually wash my hair every day. Um, because I work out and sweat a lot and I just want to yeah. keep clean. So what, what's the right move on that? Yeah, so exactly what I was just saying. Scalp hygiene is going to be different and individualized to each person. Mm -hmm. So if your lifestyle is outside, outdoor, you know, running, sweating, you know, athletic or sports or something like that, or you're in a dirty job or something like that where there's dust and grime, then you're going to need to shower shampoo more often. And you're going to have to use the correct shampoo and conditioner mm -hmm. for frequent use so that you don't strip the scalp and, you know, it becomes untenable, uh, you know, and inflamed. There are some folks that have much, much more oil production at the level of the scalp than others. And so sometimes scalp treatments are necessary to cool down those oil glands, mm. um, to, to cool down like the, the sebaceous activity. And there's a lot of treatments and, and things that we can do for that. We call those scalp makeovers. Sometimes it's an at-home thing where you just go home with this or that or the other thing. Sometimes we do a treatment in the office, sometimes a series of treatments to get that under control. But the right frequency of shampoo is going to be different person to person. You know, if you have super duper curly, coarse hair, then you're going to need, let's say, you know, more conditioning. And you're not going to be able to shampoo the same way as someone with straighter hair because it's going to it's just you're not gonna be able to manage it you could cause a right. whole you know host of problems you know if you have super like an afro textured hair and you go to shampoo it improperly um you know you could end up with dreadlocks you know that's not like a good plan unless right. you were planning on that <laughs> right right yeah one of the things that i suggest is no matter what product you pick make sure it is free of those harsh toxins because for a woman going through menopause, we're already struggling with our hormones. So taking away as many toxins as we can in our controlled environment is so optimal. Um, what about the massaging scalp tools and the derma rollers? The, I have a massaging scalp tool, it's very gentle, but those mm -hmm. derma rollers really scare me. Yeah, so um, there is some evidence in the clinical literature that scalp massage, this traction signal, if you will, that's a signal that we're giving to the follicle, does improve hair growth. So years ago, you know, you would hear, yeah, just massage your scalp, it'll grow better. And most doctors probably would scoff at that. But there is some data and research now that shows that this kind of 
um, that certain types of massage can actually improve hair growth. So I'm not, a, you know, not opposed to that. We do scalp treatments, not just with them. Um, you know, manual massage, but we also have different devices that we use on the scalp in the trichology lab, for example. Uh, when it comes to the microneedling, that's what you're talking about with the rollers. And rollers at home scare me also. Yes. However, there's a lot of good data in the clinical literature that microneedling, this, this let's say, mild stimulation of the, uh, of the skin can improve and, and rejuvenate not just the texture and the quality of the skin, but also hair growth. So there's, again, good science behind it, but I'm going to throw a caution flag here for your listeners because you certainly don't want to overdo it. A minute ago, we were talking about how inflammation is bad. Well, if you do too much, too often, too deep, or you're in part, you know, bacteria under the skin, which is trying to keep bacteria out, you're going to have a major problem and you're going to cause a lot of hair loss instead of grow a lot more hair. Right. And sometimes people walk away with tools like this and they think, well, if a little is good, a lot is better. And that is not the case here. Yeah. I think there's definitely a curve on that, uh, yeah. a dose curve, right? So yeah. um, for example, we do professional microneedling with all of our PRP treatments and probably, you know, jumping ahead to a therapy that, you know, maybe your listeners know or not, but, uh, but a treatment that we do in the office under local anesthetic with a professional grade tool. I mean, this tool, you know, costs tens of thousands of dollars and it has a disposable tip that costs hundreds of dollars. You're not getting that same kind of single use, sterile, mechanical um, intervention with a, a roller that you bought for $2 on Amazon, on Amazon. or exactly. from China or whatever. You know, it's, it's yeah. just, you know, it, you don't need, you know, uh, to be a brain surgeon to figure out that there's a difference between those two things. Absolutely. So there's different types of hair loss. I want to know if you see one more than the other. So there's the androgenic alopecia, which is what I have. There's telogen effluvium. There's alopecia areata, which is the autoimmune disorder. So mm -hmm. what do you what do you see the most of? Yeah. So the, the the vast majority of patients that I see in my practice are hereditary hair loss patients. That's male and female pattern hair loss, androgenetic alopecia. Mm -hmm. Now, but telogen effluvium sounds very complicated, right? But telogen effluvium just means shedding. So that's kind of like a general term, like vertigo. Like if, if your doctor diagnoses you with vertigo, you'd be like, well, yeah, but why do I have vertigo? <laughs> So oftentimes dermatologists will say, yes, you have telogen effluvium, you know, you have this, you know, aggressive shedding phase, but they never dig any deeper and to try to figure out why. So that's where the functional part or holistic part of the practice comes in to try to figure out what is the cause and what are the influences and what are the risks of your either lifestyle, behavior, medication, regimen, whatever it might be, uh, uh, genetics is affecting your hair. So is there... It, do women have it one way more than men or vice versa? Do you see any difference in the, in, in genders? Oh, well, yeah. So androgenetic alopecia is the term for hereditary male or female pattern hair loss. But the thing is that they look completely different. Hmm. Male pattern hair loss is easy to see. You see the receding hairline right away, maybe some thinning in the crown. And of course it could meet all in the middle. In women, it's happens a little bit more slowly. It happens a little bit later in life. And women typically maintain the hairline, but they lose density in the frontal zone. And oftentimes they'll notice that just the volume of hair is changing or yeah. they're seeing a little bit more scalp shining through. It's more of a diffuse loss of hair. 
And it's not until later on or, you know, when hormones really get out of whack that we see more of a receding type of a hairline in women, although, you know, that's getting more and more and more common these days. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's frightening. It's so horrifying when it starts and you feel such a loss of control and you don't know where, what that root cause is at that moment. So yeah. when, when my clients come to me, I'm usually their first stop in terms of being introduced to functional medicine or integrative approaches to mm -hmm. healthcare. And they feel very dismissed sometimes in conventional medicine. You know, maybe they're experiencing hair loss and they go to a dermatologist and the dermatologist sort of just dismisses what's going on, tells them, you know, they're aging and this is all normal, not to worry. If you stress, it's going to be worse, you know, hire a therapist, right? But what steps should be taken when someone initially sees hair, sh massive hair shedding? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I'm so glad that you brought this up because so many patients not that they waste a lot of time, but they tend to delay proper treatment when uh, they go and visit their primary doctor or their dermatologist, and they get very little sympathy uh, when it comes to the hair loss and, or hair shedding problem. And you know, very oftentimes, uh, my dermatology colleagues, they, they like the last thing they want to do is treat a hair loss patient. Um, whereas, you know, in a hair restoration physician practice, that's what we're geared to do. We're going to spend an hour with every patient, no matter what, digging into the history, the physical, digging into all of these other factors. So yeah, un unfortunately that's happening out there. And, uh, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon, but the first thing you need to do is if you think that you have a hair loss problem is you need to get advice from the correct person. So if you spend a year going to your hairstylist saying, Hey, is it shedding or does it look different? Or you go to your, you know, OBGYN, Hey, do you think we should do some blood work? And then, or you're talking to the dermatologist and, and the last thing they want to see is a little baggie of hair or whatever, right. you know, you can lose a lot of time. And in, in the world of hair, we say time is follicles <laughs> because for every week, yep. every month that you delay, that you're not on aggressive treatment, that you're not dealing with the situation that's causing the hair loss, you're losing ground. So the first thing is to connect with someone who can diagnose the problem. And th this doesn't mean that you have to go across the street. I mean, we, I treat 50% of my patients through telemedicine, through virtual consultations. And of course, you know, there are many, many other physicians in the field of hair restoration that have kind of similar technology. So there's lots of folks out there, but what we're geared up to do is to take care of those patients from a distance. And I've been doing that for 20 years. 50% um, of my patients fly in from out of town for treatments and procedures here in the office and also for measurements. And that's sometimes the missing piece of the puzzle, like actually measuring what's going on. So you have to find that physician. You have to get the right diagnosis, at, which includes <laughs> the risks, a risk assessment, and then yeah. get a baseline measurement. So those are like the most important things to do right off the bat. And how do you take a measurement of a hair follicle? Oh, wow. Gosh, I'm so glad you asked, Donna. Yeah. You asked me that. Um, well, I've done almost 50,000 measurements using a really cool technology called cross-sectional hair bundle measurement. And it's a long phrase, but basically we call it the hair check. A hair check is an electronic caliper and it comes in two pieces. One piece allows us to go back to the same areas on the scalp again and again, kind of like um, 
it's a, we, it's like a stereo tactic tool. If you know what that is, it basically measures a certain distance from the bridge of the nose every mm -hmm. time the same amount. And then we bundle a two by two centimeter square of hair uh, and measure that bundle. And that gets recorded in the chart. And so we can measure the back of the scalp, which is the occipital zone. That's the zone that's going to be the most permanent. And then we can measure the crown or vertex area, which is where your swirl is. We can measure the mid scalp, which is the top of your head, the frontal, the temple, anywhere that you have an area of concern. And we can track that over time. Um, but the cool thing is there's a lot of new technologies. Like I have an AI powered microscope now. I have um, these things that do virtual tattoos, which line up the hairs without having to shave any zones. So there's so many new measurement tools that are out there. But the hair check is the one, you know, that we started with oh, well over 15 years ago. And every single patient's going to get that measurement every single time they come into the office. Yeah, that is so cool. I, I listened to a podcast with you a while ago. And uh, you were talking about that. And I thought that was, I, I was wishing that I lived near you so I could go get that done, but I'm all the way up here in Chicago. Um, but I know people do fly in to see you. You can, you could be here and home for dinner in the same right. day, but Chicago. So <laughs> don't worry, you could, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's time and, and resources, of course, and not yeah. everyone can, can do that. Um, but, you know, we can also help, uh, we can help you find someone in your local area who can do a measurement. I've trained many hairstylists, nurses, uh, PAs, medical assistants, you name it. I can, I've taught them how to use the hair check tool oh, through my right. hair coaching program. So I have a hair coach program, a certification program uh, that we could find someone perhaps in your neck of the woods who could do the measurements for you over time. But how often do you have to take those measurements? Is it like three months, six months? Here's so that's a long time yeah. to grow. So hair grows about a third of a millimeter a day, right? That, that's the stubble on your leg, right? Uh, or on your beard. And um, it grows, so that would be about a quarter to a half inch a month, about a centimeter or so. So it does take 90 days to really get a good feel in terms of tracking measurements. And uh, so could we do it a little bit sooner, six weeks? Yeah, but usually the 90 day mark is a good time to not only start a regimen and, and get familiar with it and, mm -hmm. and make sure your compliance is up to par. Um, you know, 90 days is a good amount of hair to grow to track with the hair check tool. At least that's what I found. So patients who live around the corner, sure, they're going to come in every three months. If you're in from a distance, you know, maybe one, maybe twice a year is kind of what we read, would recommend. Yeah. So a few minutes ago, you were talking about how time is of the essence and how long does it take for a hair follicle to permanently die? Mm. So um, a lot of people feel like when they see that hair shedding, um, sometimes through a stressful situation or shock to the system, you know, whether it be a fever or an injury or a stressful time or even jet lag sometimes, that, that oh my God, the follicle's dead. Well, no, that really is not the case. So hair follicles often, they do take some time, to cycle down, so to speak. So the miniaturization of the hair follicle, if we're talking about hereditary hair loss, mm -hmm. is something that actually gradually happens with each successive cycle. So, but what we don't want to happen is follicles that are already impaired and weakened, then to kind of be pushed over the cliff, if you will, um, in terms of you know, their, their, their death or, or destruction or irreversible damage. So you may already have hairs that are weakening by the time you get to middle age, 
Um, and then you undergo this stressful time with psychological, physiological, whatever, or a medication or something else that's happening or experience. And some follicles, you know, may not return to normal after that situation. And, and COVID is a great example of that, I think. So, if someone, so if someone waits like 10 years to finally make a move and see somebody, maybe, you know, there's a lot of people out there who just ignore their health. And, yeah. you know, some people I've had some women come to me and they've just wasted 10 years and then finally decided to do something about it. Is that too late? Well, they still have hair on their head to preserve, but is it too late for the follicles that might not perform anymore? Well, some of those follicles may be beyond repair, unfortunately, just depending on what their situation is and how severe the, the genetic tendency is and the other factors, the influences um, and their lifestyle and health status and, and so forth. Um, but the good news is, is that, yeah, even if you have delayed or denied uh, that it's been happening, there's always something we can do to keep the existing hair from getting worse. And so protect and preserve is a big part of what we do in the practice. And, you know, there are many treatment modalities, a lot of interventions that we do that are designed to kind of give life support to the follicles so that they will stay living and growing for a lot longer. And it could be non-chemical, it could be nutraceutical, it could be, you know, photobiomodulation or light therapy. It could be regenerative medicine technologies, um, you know, before we get down the road to a hair transplant. Um, for some, transplants are necessary and that's just the way it's gonna be. You know, a woman with a receding hairline that's very deep or high, you know, she may need a hair transplant, but don't give up on the other hairs. That's, you know, we've right. gotta get action going to preserve right. the rest. Exactly. So this is a great spot in the podcast to talk about all these different treatment options because there are so many out there. And I, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I actually went on Amazon and just started putting in the search bar many different things because I want, I know there's a bunch of junk out there, but I wanted to just take a peek at everything. And there is so much junk out there. It is incredible. Yeah. And it is very misleading. And people who don't know who to go to or don't have an outlet to, to seek, you know, this is where they go. And so there's right. topical, oral serums, red light therapy, PRP injections, peptides. But on Amazon, there's also a whole slew of hair vitamins and gummies and all this other stuff. So let's just yeah. start with the bait. Let's start with the one level and just go up from there. Sure, sure. So, I mean, I, I think of things in terms of like foundational, right? So yeah. we already talked a little bit about how important nutrition is. And I think everybody realizes that if you're, let's just say protein deficient, you're not going to grow hair. Hair is keratin, uh, which is a protein. So if you're not uh, well-nourished, you know, your nails are going to be more brittle and your hair is not going to grow well. So it makes sense that nutrition is important. But I think what people fail to realize is that there's no like miracle in that, in that, you know, gummy vitamin biotin. I mean, I happen to like biotin for my patients. I have a certain dose that I recommend. I've tracked patients who are on high dose biotin, which is a very safe thing uh, to, have, to be on. It's water soluble and, and so forth. Uh, so I know that it works. Sometimes it gets, it gets poo-pooed by doctors in the industry, but certainly biotin is not going to rejuvenate a follicle that's severely damaged. And right. uh, you know that's not like going to be your miracle cure. But let's just say nutrition is kind of foundational, uh, much like hair care as we said, to keep the scalp healthy, the hygiene of the scalp is really, really important. And so, you know, I think uh, in the, in, you know, in the world of Amazon, what you get is this like reverse lens. So you get, you know, like this, this magnification of 
of like, oh, you've got hair growth shampoos and, and hair growth vitamins. And it's really, those things are, are so minor um, because they're not, you don't have any perspective. They just look like, oh, that's the only thing that everybody is on. Right. So from a physician's point of view, what I would say, I like good nutrition and we can guide you on that. And there's different supplements. Some of them are like offensive and some of them are defensive just to kind of categorize them, right? So like I have nutritional supplements like multivitamins and biotin, um, collagen replacement, things like that. Those are more offensive. And then there's defensive nutraceuticals that can block or decrease inflammation in the body, make you more resilient to stress and cortisol, things that can protect your microbiome, improve your nutritional status just by changing the, the uh, composition of your gut bacteria, things like that. So those are offensive and defensive items uh, in the nutritional realm. And then, as we said before, making sure that the scalp health is on point and not disrupting what we're trying to do in terms of really, truly hair growth treatments. So that would right. be the next category, right? So the true hair growth treatments uh, come in a few varieties that comes in red light therapy. Those are, you know, we have FDA clear devices specifically for hair growth and healing. We also have- Right, well, I, I had um, Dr. Raven yeah. on last week. Oh, awesome. And I, I am a huge proponent of that laser cap HD plus. And it has been one of the best things that I've added to my hair growth journey. I use it every day for 15 minutes with a topical. And I want to talk about the specifics about topicals as well. But red light yeah. therapy to me is just, a game changer. How does oh, that work well, exactly with the hair follicles? Can you explain that a little? Sure, sure. So first of all, you know, they don't, they didn't teach me about red light therapy when I went to medical school, you know, like in the 1990s, right? So right. <laughs> it just, that was not a class that they gave. So when I first learned about red light for hair regrowth, I was very skeptical. Um, I was introduced to a European gentleman who said that they were using it in Sweden. This was in 1998, 1999. And that's when I received my first in-office laser device for hair growth. And, you know, I was, I was hell bent to basically disprove it. I mean, I wanted to basically show that this was hocus pocus. Mm -hmm. And the more people we treated with that device, the more hair grew. And it was just unbelievable to me. I'm like, how come nobody knows about this? And the, and the literature was very sparse on hair growth um, with the exception of basically mice. <laughs> right. So the red light was working in mice from back from the 1960s, but no one had really figured out why. But today we know. And so your question is, how does red light therapy affect the hair follicle? Well, it all goes back to the mitochondria. And I know you're a mitochondriac. I am. <laughs> so as a fellow mitochondriac, we're looking for anything that energizes the mitochondria, which are obviously the energy centers within the cells. So today we know from Dr. Michael Hamblin, who is probably the most well-known, well-published uh, researcher on the planet when it comes to photobiomodulation. That's really the, the latest terminology for, right. for, for laser therapy that doesn't cut or burn the skin. That the photon acceptor molecule is in the cytochrome C oxidase in the electron transport chain. And so if you're not familiar with the, uh, uh, the physiology of the mitochondria, there's an electron transport chain, which essentially creates an ion gradient. And when the ions flow back uh, along that membrane, that's where you get ATP produced, which is the currency, if you will, or the gasoline for cellular metabolism, adenosine triphosphate. So ATP is like cellular gasoline. So when you shine a red light on a mitochondria, you get more ATP and a whole host of other things. There's about 500 genes that are, uh, or genetic upregulation growth factors that occur that you can track in response to that red light exposure. But basically the good news is, is that your 
follicles have more energy, uh, there's increase in blood flow in that area, and you get better hair growth. If you routinely use a powerful device that has a good amount of coverage, and you do it routinely, and use it for the right amount of time. So the device that I worked with Dr. Michael Raven on, uh, in my practice, we call that the turbo. So the turbo laser cap is the shortest treatment time, five minutes, it's got over 300 diodes. It packs completely flat. Um, it's not an inexpensive device, but with a lifetime warranty, it would be the last one that you would ever need. Yeah, that's the one that you showed with Dave Asprey when you did your podcast with him, correct? Correct. And yeah. so Dave said that, you know, it was the device that had more lasers than anything he'd ever seen in his entire life. Right, right. <laughs> so, that's how he's so, so the laser cap HD plus is just a, le a level down from that. But it is super powerful, as Dr. Raven explained to us. Mm -hmm. And when you go onto Amazon and you buy these lower value laser caps and you aren't seeing results in three, six, nine, 12 months, yeah, it's a bummer because they're expensive. So yeah. what I would say is you're going to have to invest in your hair growth and make the smart investments because it's going to be a protocol you're going to follow for life. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, I think people understand the difference between like a $500 TV and a $5,000 TV, right. but I'm not sure people understand the difference between a $500 laser device and a $5,000 laser device. Correct. And if you think about it in terms of TVs, what does a $5,000 TV have that the other one doesn't? Well, it probably is pixels, right? Pixels are the currency of TVs, right? That gives you the resolution, the clarity, if you will, 4K, 8K, 10K, whatever's coming next. So laser devices that are more expensive typically have more laser diodes in them. And laser devices that are less expensive may not even have any laser diodes in them. They may have only LEDs, right. which are much weaker per diode than a laser. Yes, yes. Yeah, so Dr. It's big, Raven. It's important. Yeah, he broke it all down for us. Oh, um, good, great. Yeah, it was great. So, but the red light therapy works really well with other protocols. And one of the protocols um, that I love is the topicals. I use mm -hmm. Formula 82M. It works nice. for me. And there's a lot of um, pro there's a lot of people out there who are very much afraid of putting a compounding pharmacy topical on them because they think it's going to interfere with their hormones, right? Mm. They think it's a chemical. I wanted mm. you to speak to that because um, you know, fear Fear drives more fear. Sure. Well, the good news is, is that minoxidil uh, does not have any impact on your hormones or hormone levels. It is not going to change your hormone status at all. There's no evidence for that in the literature. Um, minoxidil has been around for a very long time. We're talking like, you know, four, more than four decades, uh, maybe longer. And uh, it's been used for hair growth for that amount of time. There are people who have been using it topically on their scalp for, for decades and decades and decades for sure. Um, I think where people go wrong with minoxidil is that they'll try maybe an over-the-counter version. Of course, you can get it generically or Rogaine, um, right. and then they don't see results. Now, that could be because they didn't give it enough time. It could be because they're trying to treat an area that's just dead and gone. Or it could be because they don't have the enzyme activity in their skin to convert the minoxidil to minoxidil sulfate, which is the active metabolite. And so... Years ago, we didn't really know why um, an additive to the minoxidil, like you said, 82M, which is one of my favorite topicals of all time, 82M has tretinoin in it. 
Mm -hmm. Tretinoin increases the penetration, but we also know today that tretinoin increases the enzyme in your skin that activates minoxidil. So it's a really, really important additive um, and could explain why so many people, maybe even 30 to 40% of people who try Rogaine or generic over-the-counter minoxidil don't get a great response. So I always ask patients, well, if you tried minoxidil, what kind of minoxidil did you try? And uh, you know, if they're not sure what they really used or not, if they didn't use a compounded version, we may either just go ahead and try the compounded version, or we may do a genetic test to find out if they have a propensity for lower sulfotransferase activity. That's the enzyme that activates yep. minoxidil. And we're going to talk about that genetic test because I'm a big fan of that test in just a few minutes after we oh, finish cool. up with these treatments. But yeah, sure. I also want to say with um, using minoxidil or with using formula 82M, you also have to have a, um, a regular routine. So yeah. this is something that I think it is the responsibility of the doctor, the practitioner to explain that this is going to be a long process and forever, because if you stop using it, is it true that your hair loss will come back? Yeah. So, I mean, that you brought up a very, very critical point. You know, sometimes physicians think, well, I, I told the patient to use it twice a day, every day. And so how come they didn't? Well, I mean, we know now after treating 30,000 patients here at Bauman Medical uh, and a lot of prescriptions out the door that, you know, a lot of patients maybe, you know, didn't hear exactly what I said, or maybe I didn't say it, you know, clear enough in that way. Um, but what we find is that when patients come back in for that measurement at 90 days, that's a good time for us to catch up and say, hey, did you get through a bottle of that 82M every week? And if they say, well, the, the bottle's lasting me, you know, 10 to 14 days, or wow, that little bottle lasted me a whole month, you know, then I kind of know um, that maybe they didn't do their homework so well. Right. And right. we kind of, we can review at that time, how to apply 82M appropriately, Yep. you know, to get the best results. Yeah. I would twice say twice a day, please. Totally. Five years ago when I was given it um, by my functional medicine doctor, oh. I was told to use it just once a day. And after using it once a day and only 10 drops, I saw nothing in three months. And so I quit. And so what happened? Mm. My hair started shedding again. And I waited four years and about nine months ago is when I decided to really hone in on stacking different protocols to have my hair grow back in a healthy way and recommitted. Uh, and I am very compliant when it comes to yeah. following everything. And that is crucial. Know how to use it and commit to it or don't start. Yeah, that's certainly true because, you know, if you're doing it kind of halfway and then you stop, you may not even realize the benefit that you were getting, even though it was just kind of maintaining things, you didn't see some, you know, amazing regrowth at that low level. But as you said, when you stop the medication, remember minoxidil is a potent antigen promoting agent. Antigen is the growth phase of the hair follicle. And so you're going to prolong that antigen, make it grow thicker, longer, stronger. Hopefully over time, the follicle is going to stay in antigen. But if you stop the minoxidil, then the follicles that would normally go into a resting phase are going to do so. And they're going to do so pretty quickly. And then within about a month or so, you're going to start to see some shedding. Yeah. And oh, also the other thing is that shedding, people are afraid of shedding from starting minoxidil too. I mean, if you yes. start a powerful treatment, laser included, PRP included, certainly a powerful minoxidil can sometimes trigger a short-term shed in the very beginning of the growth. So the yes. first month or so, maybe six weeks, you can see a little bit of shedding as those new hairs are pushing out the old ones. 
But in the long run, three, four months later, that's where you're going to really be able to measure some nice improvements. And so the amount of shedding initially with minoxidil or laser usually is proportional with the growth that you're going to see later on. Yeah, you just so got to stick with it. Don't give up. Absolutely. And it's a good sign with seeing that shedding. It means that the, it, the topical is working. And I was yeah. not told this five years ago when I started and I would see the shedding for six to eight more weeks and just panic because I wasn't told. So, you know, the practitioner needs to be really clear about it, but the patient yeah. also needs to research and do their own homework you know. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, that's obviously now is the time for, yeah. for, for patients to be their own advocate. We say yes. this again and again in personalized precision medicine. Um, you know, you are your own best advocate. And I love it when patients come in and bring me printouts. Other physicians don't like it. I, you know, I'm happy. I want to see what's new. And then they get, right. you know, I get text messages all the time. Hey, did you hear about this peptide, whatever, you know? And so um, we're always on the front line of that. And um, you know, look, maybe there's something really awesome that's coming out and coming available. We want to know about it. I'm excited about it, but let's prove it. Let's see what the data shows, you know, and yeah. what works for you, maybe even for you, Jill, maybe different than what someone else uh, is going to respond to. Absolutely. So what do you think about the peptide um, GHKCU, the copper peptide? There's a lot of buzz on the internet with new products coming out containing this peptide. Yeah, so copper peptide uh, or copper tripeptide, the GHK uh, copper, is for my standpoint, what's old is what's new again. So many years ago, I'm talking back in the 1990s, we used copper GHK as a wound healing treatment for our hair transplant patients. And it was a very sophisticated protocol. Basically, patients would get a kit that contained this bluish liquid with soaks uh, that were ga gauze soaked in this blue liquid. And we would give them like little shower caps to soak their, their transplanted uh, scabs in and a sprayer and all this. And the copper peptide was very well known to improve skin healing. And there was some data to show that it also improved hair growth. And then it became a little bit less popular as the procedures got less invasive. And the, and the graft sizes got a little bit smaller, we didn't need so much of the fancier, you know, copper peptide, it kind of fell out of favor a little bit. But yes, within the past couple of years, there's been this resurgence in copper peptide. And I know that um, there's some, again, really good research on hair growth in copper peptides, skin rejuvenation. Um, there's some inkling that maybe it would help with uh, preventing gray or even reversing uh, the graying of hair. So, you know, we're, we're definitely back on track uh, with the copper peptide. I wouldn't trade your minoxidil for copper peptide. So just to put things in perspective, um, you know, minoxidil is going to be a, your much more powerful topical, but there are a few others. There's plant-based topicals that are now available and copper peptide topicals. And of course, copper GHK can also be done as an injection. Oh, so you would stack the GHK with the minoxidil or the you 82M? You could. Yeah. I mean, it all depends on how much time you have to apply these topicals. Or like I said, you could do an injection. You know, you could give your, you know, like a, an injection of peptides. You know, very often people will do that, whether it's CJC epimorlin or uh, BPC-157, you know, you know, you can do an injection of copper peptide. It just You just have to do it every day, I think. Um, you know, we don't prescribe a lot of that in the practice, you know, injections of copper peptide. But again, uh, very familiar with the effects of copper peptide. I mean, we, we basically prescribed 
I would say hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of copper peptide back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wow, it was very, I mean, there were, I mean, every time they had, uh, you know, uh, we would get a shipment of them and each one was like a little toiletry kit size thing. And I just remember in my old office, we didn't have a lot of room, not like today. Uh, you know, it was difficult to store, you know, thousands of those kits. Wow. We, I used it. we used it. I did not know that. Yeah. There's a lot of new products coming out with it. Very interesting. What about dutasteride and finasteride? At what point would you use those instead of minoxidil or 82M? So dutasteride and finasteride are anti-androgen type therapies. They block the formation of DHT, which is dihydrotestosterone. Dihydrotestosterone or DHT is a metabolite of testosterone. So everybody, men and women, have testosterone that gets converted into DHT. Androgenetic alopecia is often this, is thought of as the sensitivity to androgens, specifically DHT is the primary one. So in men, finasteride and dutasteride are primary treatments to lower that DHT, to preserve hair function, and to also to rejuvenate hair. But we have to be careful. So women of childbearing age cannot use um, finasteride or dutasteride because of the risk to developing male fetus. You need DHT in the fetus, basically, let's just say to make men look like men, right? And so, um, but women who are uh, postmenopausal can be prescribed these anti-androgen therapies uh, off-label. And we certainly have a lot of experience doing that. Originally in the clinical research, uh, it was shown that it was kind of a 50-50 deal, like that not all women got a good response from anti-androgen therapy. But today we can use genetic testing to elucidate who may be a good candidate for finasteride treatment, or maybe we just try it and see how it works for them. So I would imagine that as women move through menopause and start having bioidentical hormone replacement therapy or HRT, that they're either getting testosterone pellets, they're using a testosterone cream like myself, but I did do the pellets once and the pellets drove my testosterone to over 900 which yeah. I have four boys and it was like, I was one of them. It was horrible. <laughs> and the, the worst part about pellets for me was that you have to wait and let them just wear off. But yes. it triggered a massive shedding in hair loss. So my doctor also gave me spirulina lactone, mm -hmm. which, so it just seems- Another. Another DHT blocker. Yeah, another so, anti-androgen type therapy. Right. So here are women trying to keep their testosterone up because we know it's protective against many things. It supports lean muscle mass, building mm -hmm. lean muscle mass. It supports our libido. It's, it, as Dr. Amy Horneman, who is the thyroid fixer says, she says, testosterone is your get your shit done hormone, right? <laughs> I love it. Which I love that one. Um, so we need testosterone and we need it at a, at a balanced level with our estrogen and our progesterone. And as we move through this stage in our life, all of these things are dropping. So at the same time, we're trying to boost it. We might have to take something to lower it. And it just seems, you know, confusing. Well, um, it shouldn't, it, it, you know, it can be confusing and that's why you need a holistic approach to the situation. But, you know, your pellet experience basically gave you the diagnosis. You now, you know, you are androgen sensitive. So, yes. you know, uh, you did your doctor's work for you. <laughs> There's no other testing. Yeah. That needs to be done. Well, that was a primary trigger for you, obviously. And it is for many of our patients and you're absolutely right. So sometimes the pellets get stacked, like you could overlap them a little bit, maybe too much and then, um, or you have too many at one time. So I always caution 
patients to just, you know, be careful, no matter what kind of hormone replacement, hormone optimization you're doing, you know, you want to do it in a careful way, especially, especially if you have a risk of hair loss in the family, or you've experienced some hair shedding, let's say after pregnancy. Right. Which of course, so after those, having five kids, I had that too. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a, you know, an indicator that maybe we should just go a little bit slower yeah. on your testosterone replacement. Um, but yes, no, it's not, it's not uncommon. A lot of our women and men who are on androgen replacement therapy or hormone optimization, they might want to be on finasteride or even dutasteride, if not orally, then definitely topically for sure. And we have topical finasteride. Now we have topical dutasteride. Uh, if you didn't want to take it, you know, systemically, you can certainly go that route. Um, and then stack with that, these other um, but I would consider like, you know, hair follicle enhancing therapy. So laser, we talked about minoxo, we mm -hmm. talked about orally or topically, uh, you could use minoxo that way too. So there's an, or regenerative treatments, PRP, things like that. So you really want to make the follicles resilient and resistant to that DHT message, which, you know, generally is not a good one yes. telling it to miniaturize. Yeah. Let's talk about this genetic test. Cause I think it's really cool. The trico test. Um, I have mine in front of me and I also had my son do this because he was experiencing a little bit of hair shedding and it's just really incredible. The amount of information it gives back to you to really personalize this approach. So is this something you, can you speak about the test in the first place? And then is this something that you recommend for all of your patients? Sure. Well, genetic testing and hair loss is not new uh, to us. It's been around since 2008. We did uh, genetic hair loss risk assessment tests. And also, as I mentioned before earlier, uh, female and male androgen sensitivity testing, 2008, 2009. So at Bauman Medical, we have a long history of genetic testing and what to do about it uh, when those things are elucidated. Now, of course, the trico test is brand new and, and dovetails really nicely with our personalized precision medicine approach to aging and hair loss, obviously being a big part of that. So what the, what the trico test does is it looks at 16 different SNPs or polymorphisms, which are you know, changes in your DNA that are um, going to elucidate different pathways, metabolic pathways that could influence hair follicle metabolism. So it could be related to androgen metabolism. It could be something related to circulation. It could tell you if you're going to be deficient in certain types of collagen, if you're making good collagen, things like that. And so it's not the definitive answer because obviously epigenetic stuff goes on top of that, right? The yeah. things that we do in our lifestyle, our you know, toxin exposure, our habits, sleep cycles and things like that. But what it can tell you is as we talked about before, for example, low sulfotransferase activity. So that could be um, identified in the trico test and uh, other pathways of metabolism, like I said, circulation. So if you're prone to have kind of um, a vasoconstrictive uh, issues, and obviously that would relate to hypertension and low blood flow to the skin, that could be um, evaluated by the trico test as well. And therefore we would want to maybe try to enhance circulation in a number of different ways, maybe with minoxidil, maybe with red light, maybe with nitric oxide supplements, things like that. So there's a lot of information to be learned. And the reason why that's important is because it gives us a shortcut to yeah. a stronger treatment regimen that maybe would be a little off the beaten path for most people, because most people are not thinking about what kind of compounded pharmaceutical do I need for my hair? 
most people are thinking about like what's in the supermarket shelf that's going to help me, um, right. you know. And right. so this will this will this will create that uh, shortcut to a more effective treatment in less time that's going to get a better result. And so when you compound the time and the follicles, uh, you know that you get a better result in the long run, and also you're going to save money. Exactly. So what's better than that? A couple of hundred bucks for a one-time test that you never ever have to repeat again. Uh, I think it's a good investment for the vast majority of patients. And obviously you can get it on the e-store, you know, at baumanmedical.com, just click shop and search up trico test DNA. And uh, that's a great place to get started if you're not sure which way to go with your hair loss situation. And I think we offer, um, I think we give a consultation at no charge with the, with, when you do the trico test. I'm pretty sure about that, uh, yeah. at least at this moment. Um, yeah, I have a lot of my women um, clients take the trico test as well. I, I'm a big believer in test, don't guess. Gather as much data yeah. as you can and don't waste time because by the time the women have come to me with their hair loss, they have spent so many years you know, chasing this, this hair loss and they cannot figure out what to do. So one of the tests yeah. I include in my package is the trico test. So and smart. Yeah. And because there's a page on there after it shows you all of your genes, there's a page on there that tells you what might work and what is definitely not going to work. And I remember when I started this journey five years ago, I took a couple, um, I took uh, Viviscal and I took Spironolactone for two years and I knew mm -hmm. nothing was changing. And mm -hmm. I kept saying to my doctor, this isn't working. And she said, right. it's going to work. I said, after two years, you would think it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And on that trico test, it said, this is not going to work for you. Mm. And I thought that was just so pertinent. So, so yeah, incredible. you would have saved all that time and effort and energy. Um, yes. Now I will tell you that, you know, the trico test is just a guide. It's not, you know, it's not law. I mean, it's just, a, it helps right. guide and prioritize. So, you know, I have had some patients where the trico test comes back that let's say, you know, even male patients where it kind of dissuades them from using finasteride initially, but, and then, the, so they may do some other things first and get an okay result. But then when we add the finasteride, then all of a sudden, wow, it becomes a really substantial improvement. Um, the other thing is that a lot of hair loss patients don't necessarily understand is that even if you're exactly the same after a year, um, well, it's not super exciting or maybe not the result that you wanted. That's actually a pretty good thing when you're talking about a chronic and progressive condition. That means you're not deteriorating. So just yeah. holding the fort, you know, is sometimes an okay goal, especially you know, in the middle of a global pandemic or maybe an economic meltdown when stress yep. levels are at all time high, just saying, um, you know, if, because the vast majority of people are going downhill fast. Yep. Yep. And the other test I include is a micronutrient test. And we talked about mm. nutrients and, and lifestyle and diet and how important it is to stay compliant. And I love this micronutrient test because it will tell us on a cellular level, if you're deficient in a certain, in a slew of, of micronutrients, amino acids, fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, and more, um, antioxidants. And it's just incredible because then you can personalize someone's supplementation. A lot of those hair gummies that we were talking about and hair uh, nutrients we were talking about on um, Amazon, they, when I read the label, it looks like a, um, a multivitamin, except the amounts of each nutrients in there is so small. They're in micrograms. Yeah. There's just, they're, they're not doing anything. So this it's is a just, whiff. It's like a, not even a puff of wind, you know, not in at a all. storm of hair loss. Um, you know, but for some people, you know, getting started on a, a vitamin, you know, and a lot of our 
you know, male yes. and female patients have never even considered like uh, a multivitamin. I mean, look, I've been, you know, we've been in the field uh, for a long time. I've been a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging for over 20 years, since 1998. So, I mean, supplementation has always been a part of my regimen. My parents made me take vitamins from the time that I could swallow them, right. you know? So it's always been a part of my routine. Um, but for some folks, you know, it's like news. So, you know, yes. if it's new to you, well, you're, you're better off at least doing something and then let's swap it out for something better. At least you've got a yes. placeholder there. You're taking something with your morning coffee, maybe. Uh, and then eventually we'll put you on something stronger from the, you know, the, the system for the Bauman MD system for wellness, you know, yes. add a stronger biotin or a multivitamin that's got some power and strength. Let's get you on a probiotic and, and so forth. Yeah. So we're coming to a close um, in a few, and I want to just talk about PRP and um, and close up after that. PRP and also ex the influence of exercise and stress on mm -hmm. our hair follicles. Because PRP is really cool. I did it twice, but tell me if I want you to correct me here. I did it twice, three months apart, mm -hmm. and there were exosomes mixed into it. It was very painful for me. And um, they had a red light lamp that I went under for three days each time I did the injections and I saw no difference. And so mm -hmm. I quit. This was mm -hmm. about five years ago. So if I didn't see anything in like three months, four months, I quit. I'm a lot different now in terms of my last nine months and being more compliant. Sure. But tell us about PRP and, and the pros and cons of it. Yeah, so I first got started with PRP back in the early 2000s as we were looking for an adjunct to our hair transplant procedures to accelerate the wound healing. Um, and PRP was very well known at that point as a skin treatment for healing wounds, like non-healing diabetic ulcers and things like that and healing the wounds from surgery. So I was very interested in that. And then we found that PRP, platelet-rich plasma, was helping with hair growth. But here's what we've learned over the past 20 years of doing PRP and over 10,000, maybe 12,000 PRP treatments is that now we know that there's a specific dose of platelet concentrate that needs to be created in the platelet-rich plasma. That's PRP. That's what it stands for, platelet-rich. And if you don't use a specific protocol to create the platelet-rich plasma, what you end up with is platelet poor plasma, which mm. doesn't do much of anything, unfortunately, except lubrication and hydration. And that's about it. So um, how did we know this? Well, we, we, we actually came across it by trial and error clinically, but then um, presentations from the orthopedic surgeons and the orthopedic surgeons were way ahead of a, a, you know, derms and hair transplant surgeons in terms of hair loss. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, PRP for hair loss, obviously, um, but they were doing it for uh, improvements in joints and knees and, and trying to avoid knee replacement surgery, essentially. And what they figured out was that a certain dose of platelets, a certain concentration of platelets was necessary for stem cell mobilization. And that was dose dependent. So the higher the dose of concentrated plate of platelets, the more stem cell mobilization you got. And then there's also a very, very specific concentration of platelets that stimulates new blood vessel formation. But this was a different type of curve. This had a, a peak and then a trough. So what it means is that there's a sweet spot for maximum, uh, what they say, new blood vessel formation, which is vascular neogenesis. And that concentration is 1.5 million platelets per microliter or 1.5 billion platelets per cc or per milliliter. And that's the dosage that we use in a volume of seven and a half cc's with each treatment. 
Um, if, we're, if for some reason you come in and we do a platelet count on your whole blood, which we do every time to ensure that you are starting out with the right amount of platelets, if your platelets are very low, then we need to change our preparation protocol to make sure we hit those concentrations. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really delivered, um, one of the more powerful reasons why we delivered the, the results that we have with hair growth through PRP. Now, why would a doctor provide PRP without local anesthetic is beyond me. And I think it's barbaric. And I think it's no, terrible I, I that had, they did I that to you. No, I had local, it just didn't work. It was super painful. It was some kind of well, gel they rubbed on my head. Yeah, so PS, Local anesthetic gel doesn't penetrate. And if it does, it takes two hours. So they should give you that at home and then they should apply a local anesthetic block. So a, a local anesthetic block is either septicane, lidocaine, whatever, right in the skin that blocks every single nerve to the top of the scalp. And we can do that here in the practice in six and a half minutes using a Pronox and vibration so you don't feel it. And then we can proceed with a 100% painless PRP. So wow. if some of your listeners have had a painful PRP experience, that tells you immediately you're going to the wrong person. Yes, they absolutely have. We've talked about it. So um, that tells me that, first of all, that the, the that surgeon or, or physician mm -hmm. is doesn't care about your comfort. And if that person doesn't care about your comfort, do you think they care about your results? I don't know. Did they measure you before you had the procedure? No. That would be important too, because if you didn't get measured, and you got some improvement that you maybe didn't even notice, how would you know when to repeat the treatment? Mm. So the use of regenerative medicine, cells, signals, and scaffolds, that's the holy triad or troika, if you will, of regenerative medicine. If you don't have a scaffold with the cells and the signals, you're not going to get a prolonged response. And that's one of the reasons why, again, dermatologists think that they need to repeat this treatment every month because they don't understand the use of scaffolding. So when we use scaffolds, again, I presented that material back in, uh, in, the early, uh, in the early 2010, 2011 to my colleagues, it showed that we got a prolonged effect from the PRP, that it lasted 10 to 14 months before we needed to repeat from a single treatment. Wow, that I have never heard. Yeah, now we do use red light before and after every procedure, yeah. every procedure we do. And even if you're post-op, you're pre-op, whatever, every time you come in, we use red light. Um, we're gonna use a painless, local anesthetic process. We're going to create the correct dose and we're going to measure you because even though 90% of patients need to repeat treatment between 10 to 14 months, there are about 5% of patients that could last even up to two years with a single treatment the way that we do it. And there, wow. unfortunately, there are some patients that need it around six to nine months to repeat it, depending on their risk factors and other influences on their hair. And of course, PRP could be enhanced with synthetic scaffolds today like for example, polydioxinone threads. We use that in combination in a treatment called PDO Grow. We can also use exosome therapy along with that. But remember that exosomes is just a general term. That's like saying, oh, I use pills or I use lotions. You, know, you need to know what's in your exosomes, how many, and what's the payload of protein and microRNA and cytokines and all the other things that are in there that are gonna create skin rejuvenation, repair, and hair growth. Um, and the source of your exosomes is really, really important. So exosome therapy, you know, has unfortunately has had a lot of bad actors and that's why the FDA put so many warnings out uh, as people ended up in the hospital from IV exosome therapy, unfortunately, you know, two years ago. So, you know, stay tuned. We've got some really exciting technologies coming. I've got a new therapy, which is uh, transdermal 
transepidermal delivery without any uh, injections whatsoever. We can use uh, sound waves to penetrate the skin so oh, that we cool. don't need to use any local anesthetic whatsoever. And we've got some really powerful hair growth serums to apply during that treatment, which only takes about 15 minutes, no recovery, no downtime. Oh my goodness, so that's that some sounds pretty incredible. exciting stuff. That is very but, exciting. Um, but look, if the follicles are dead and gone, then that's when you're going to need uh, the latest and greatest minimally invasive hair transplant. So no scalpel, no stitch harvesting. We harvest the follicles from the back of the scalp. We do it for men and a lot of women are good candidates for hair transplants today to restore those hairlines and to fill in the density between the hair that you have. And we don't have to shave your head or anything like that. And still we can use the minimally invasive style of hair transplantation. Yeah, I've heard you speak about this. It's the F-U-E, is that what it is called? Correct. So follicular unit extraction yeah. is the method, one of the methods I helped pioneer back in the early 2000s. And we've done millions and millions, tens of millions of grafts that way to harvest the follicles without scalpel, without stitches. So again, that's another way to tell if your surgeon is doing new technology or old technology. Yep. If they're telling you that you're going to have stitches or staples, you may want to get a second opinion on that. Absolutely. Wow, so many incredible things, so many incredible modalities to use for all of us to gain our hair back. Wow, incredible. For sure, Jill. What about sleep, sure. sleep and stress and exercise? How did those like play a role in hair loss? Oh gosh, we could do a whole podcast on sleep. I you know, hear, but we're not my going sleep to. scores on my aura oh ring. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so of course, Got I'm, my, I'm uh, whoop. A whoop, yeah, so I'm a sleep fanatic. Um, sleep is uh, the Swiss Army knife of wellness as you probably know. So it helps with uh, modulating, not just you know, your digestion, your emotional status, uh, your stress level, it improves your resiliency, your recovery from exercise, um, all of those different things. So if your sleep cycle is dysregulated, either getting too little sleep or not good quality sleep, it can definitely disrupt the hair follicle. There's a, a local clock in the hair follicle because hair follicles, remember, cycle on and cycle off. And so what we find is that even if you're jet lagged, you can trigger a shed. So people coming back from the far east here to the United States, oftentimes they'll notice a shedding phase that happens yeah. within the next month. And a lot of that has to do with the jet lag situation, um, which basically tells you, you know, if all of a sudden you have to work night shift or, you know, you're up with the babies crying all night, you know, you may start to see that impact your health and your hair follicles may be one of the first signs that uh, you're not recovering as well as you should, that you're not at optimum readiness, so to speak, you know, that you're not, uh, you're not at optimum wellness. And so, yeah, getting good sleep is uh, sometimes as we age, especially easier said than done. Uh, you know, um, if, if you want a list of my sleep hacks, I can, uh, I can send them along, but no, we do spend a lot of time. Oh, if you practice. have a list, definitely send them along. I'll put them in the show notes. Do oh, you have okay. a formal, yeah. do so, you have a uh, formal list? Temperature control, blue light control, uh, red goggles, melatonin. Um, yep. You know, I've got a few others. Oh, there, I do the those... same things. The chili pad is like the the greatest invention for menopausal women ever. It's the <laughs> the pad that goes on your bed, and you can con control how cool your bed stays. It is the bomb. So my wife actually likes the room and the bed a little bit warmer, um, but the chili pad and chili blanket that I have gives me a sandwich of this cool uh, temperature yeah. that I find, according to my sleep scores, improves my deep sleep. Yes. So yeah, and it's, uh, you know, if I'm away, then, you know, put the, put the temperature all the way down in the hotel room. But, um, you know, at home, I'm sandwiched between a 50 degree uh, chili pad, chili blanket. Yeah, oh, me too. 
Yeah. Uh, what about athletics and working out? And then we're going to wrap it up. I know we've yeah, had you here sure. a long time, but a lot of women, especially going through menopause, they are working out, working out, working out because we're gaining weight around our midsection. Yeah. So here's the thing about exercise, right? I mean, there, it, there are issues if you overtrain, um, you know, so if your if your you know, joints are aching, uh, your, your heart rate is elevated, you know, if you have something to monitor that and it's not going down, um, you know, you could be overtraining yourself and that's not so good for any, for any, you know, part of your wellness situation, obviously. Um, but we also know that high athletic activity tends to boost up your natural testosterone or other hormone levels like growth hormone and things like that. And, and that's all fine and good, except when it comes to your hair. So you have to be careful. Uh, if you're doing a lot of resistance training, a lot of weight training, you could be increasing your testosterone levels and that could translate into hair loss. So a lot of our professional athletes have that issue. Um, sometimes there's nutritional supplements that you may not realize that could also have that kind of an effect. Um, creatine is on my list of, uh, of common offenders, especially amongst young athletes, male athletes. Uh, that's a common additive that they'll use, uh, cause they can get it over the counter. They get, you know, GNC yeah. it's in the protein shakes and things like that. And creatine does have a lot of great benefits, but we also have to understand the risks. And there are some two peer reviewed published, uh, articles on creatine increasing DHT production in mm. rugby players and rugby teams. So I think it was one South African team and one team from the UK that they tested and, and looked at their blood levels of DHT. And so creatine supplementation can bump up that DHT. And as you know, it's public enemy number one when it comes to your hair. Wow. I did not know that. That's really interesting. All my boys are big athletes and they do take creatine because of course they want to build more lean muscle mass. Very yeah. interesting. All right. So my, that, my, yeah. My final question. Okay. What are three things our listeners can do today? if they are experiencing hair loss? Yeah, so uh, number one, don't panic, okay? It's because the panic is not gonna be helpful. So it's no worries, we got this. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, most important thing is to get good advice. Get, if you can't find a board certified hair restoration physician in a town near you, then please just reach out on the website. You can click ask a question, you could click for a consultation, and I'm happy to chat with you virtually, you know, obviously telemedicine is what we do day in and day out, but get some accurate advice. Try to get your hair measured, you know, find someone with a microscope or a hair check trichometer, as we mentioned earlier, this hair bundle measurement. It's really, really important. And don't waste a lot of time looking for that magic vitamin or magic shampoo. Uh, as we said, hair care is important and so is your nutritional status, but don't waste a lot of time waiting for some vitamin to kick in if you've got a serious hair loss problem, time is follicle. So those are my three things. Oh, I love those. Those are great takeaways. And I will put into the show notes all the ways to see you and contact you and get a consultation. I had a consultation with your NP. She was wonderful. I'm bringing my son to you. So I can tell you all from experience that this is the person you and the clinic that you want to go to uh, if you are experiencing hair loss. And thank you so much, Dr. Bauman, for joining us. I so appreciate all your time in, and your expertise in this area. Well, thanks, Jill. It was great being on with you. And of course, if you have any follow-up questions from any of your listeners or followers, uh, I'm happy to come back and answer them anytime. Oh, thank you so much. That's so generous of you. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to the Health Trip Podcast, and we will see you later. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. 
by building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.